Chapter Thirty Five of A Daughter of Today by Sarah Jeanette Duncan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. At three o'clock, one hour before he expected the Cardiffs, John Kendall ran up the stairs to his studio. The door stood ajar, and with a jealous sense of his possession within, he reproached himself for his carelessness in leaving it so he had placed the portrait the day before where all the light in the room fell upon it and his first hasty impression of the place assured him that it stood there still when he looked directly at it he instinctively shut the door made a step or two forward closed his eyes and so stood for a moment with his hand before them then with a groan damnation he opened them again and faced the fact the portrait was literally in rags they hung from the top of the frame and swung over the bottom of it hardly enough of the canvas remained unriddled to show that it had represented anything human its destruction was absolute fiendish it seemed to kendall he dropped into a chair and stared with his knee locked in his hands damnation he repeated with a white face i'll never approach it again and then he added grimly still speaking aloud janet will say i deserved it he had not an instant's doubt of the author of the destruction and he remembered with a flash in connection with it the little silver-handled algerian dagger that pinned one of nadi palichki's studies against the wall of elfrida's room it was not till a quarter of an hour afterwards that he thought it worth while to pick up the note that lay on the table addressed to him and then he opened it with a nauseated sense of her unnecessary insistence i have come here this morning she had written determined either to kill myself or it it is impossible i find notwithstanding all that i said that both should continue to exist i cannot explain further you must not ask it of me you may not believe me when i tell you that i struggled hard to let it be myself i had such a hideous doubt as to which had the best right to live but i failed there death is too ghastly so i did what you see in doing it i think i committed the unforgivable sin not against you but against art it may be some satisfaction to you to know that i shall never wholly respect myself again in consequence a word or two scratched out and then understand that i bear no malice toward you have no blame for you only honor you acted under the very highest obligation you could not have done otherwise there followed five asterisks and i am glad to think that i do not destroy with your work the joy you had in it followed by three asterisks kendall noted the consideration of this final statement with a cynical laugh and counted the asterisks why the devil hadn't he locked the door his confidence in her had been too ludicrous he read the note half through once again and then with uncontrollable impatience tore it into shreds to have done it at all was hideous but to try and impress herself in doing it was disgusting 
he reflected with a smile of incredulous contempt upon what she had said about killing herself and wondered in his anger how she could be so blind to her own disingenuousness five asterisks she had made them carefully and then the preposterousness about what she had destroyed and what she hadn't destroyed and then more asterisks what had she thought they could possibly signify what could anything she might say possibly signify in a savage rudimentary way he went over the ethical aspect of the affair coming to no very clear conclusion he would have destroyed the thing himself if she had asked him but she should have asked him and even in his engrossing indignation he could experience a kind of spiritual blush as he recognized how safe his concession was behind the improbability of its condition finally he wrote a line to janet informing her that the portrait had sustained an injury and postponing her and her father's visit to the studio he would come in the morning to tell her about it he added and dispatched the missive by the boy downstairs post-haste in a cab it would be to-morrow he reflected before he could screw himself up to talking about it even to janet for that day he must be alone with his discomfiture in the days of his youth and adversity long before he and the public were upon speaking terms mr george jasper had found encouragement of a substantial sort with messrs pitman pitt and sanderson of ludgate hill which was a well-known explanation of the fact that this brilliant author clung in the main to a rather old-fashioned firm of publishers when the dimensions of his reputation gave him a proportionate choice it explained also the circumstance that mr jasper's notable critical acumen was very often at the service of his friend mr pitt mr pittman was dead as at least one member of a london publishing firm is apt to be in cases where manuscripts of any curiously distinctive character from unknown authors puzzled his perception of the truly expedient thing to do mr arthur rattray of the illustrated age had personal access to mr pitt and had succeeded in confusing him very much indeed as to the probable success of a book by an impressionistic young lady friend of his which he called an adventure in stage land and which mr rattray declared to have every element of unconventional interest mr pitt distrusted unconventional interest distrusted impressionistic literature and especially distrusted books by young lady friends rattray nevertheless showed a suspicious indifference to its being accepted and an irritating readiness to take it somewhere else and mr pitt knew rattray for a sagacious man and so it happened that returning late from a dinner where he had taken refuge in two or three extremely indigestible dishes from being bored entirely to extinction george jasper found elfrida's manuscript in a neat thick oblong paper parcel waiting for him on his dressing-table 
he felt himself particularly wide awake and he had a consciousness that the evening had made a very small inroad upon his capacity for saying clever things so he went over an adventure in stageland at once and in writing his opinion of it to mr pitt which he did with some elaboration a couple of hours later he had all the relief of a revenge upon a well-meaning hostess without the reproach of having done her the slightest harm it is probable that if mr jasper had known that the opinion of the firm's reader was to find its way to the author he would have expressed himself in terms of more guarded commonplace for we cannot believe that he still cherished a sufficiently lively resentment at having his hand publicly kissed by a pretty girl to do otherwise but mr pitt had not thought it necessary to tell him of this condition which rattray at elfrida's express desire had exacted as it happened nobody can ever know precisely what he wrote except mr pitt who has forgotten and mr arthur rattray who tries to forget for the letter the morning after it was received which was the morning after the portrait met its fate lay in a little charred heap in the fireplace of elfrida's room when janet cardiff pushed the screen aside at last and went in kendall had come as he promised and told her everything he had not received quite the measure of indignant sympathy he had expected and janet had not laughed at the asterisks on the other hand she had sent him away with unnatural gravity of demeanour rather earlier than he meant to go and without telling him why she thought as she directed the cabman to essex court fleet street that she would tell him why afterwards and all the way there she thought of the most explicit terms in which to inform elfrida that her letter had been the product of hardness of heart that she really felt quite different and had come to tell her purely for honesty's sake how she did feel after a moment of ineffectual calling on the other side of the screen her voice failed her and in dumb terror that would not be reasoned away it seemed that she saw the outlines of the long still slender figure under the bed draperies while she still looked helplessly at a flock of wild geese flying over fujiyama buddha smiled at her from the table with a kind of horrid expectancy and the litter of papers round him in elfrida's handwriting mixed their familiarity with his mockery she had only to drag her trembling limbs a little further to know that the room was pregnant with the presence of death some white tube roses in a vase seemed to make it palpable with their fragrance she ran wildly to the window and drew back the curtain the pale sunlight flooding in gave a little white nimbus to a silver ring upon the floor 
the fact may not be without interest that six months afterwards an adventure in stageland was published by messrs lash and black and met with a very considerable success mr arthur rattray undertook its disposal with the consent of mr and mrs leslie bell who insisted without much difficulty that he should receive a percentage of the profits for his trouble mr rattray was also of assistance to them when as soon as the expense could be managed these two middle-aged americans whose grief was not less impressive because of its twang arrived in london to arrange that their daughter's final resting-place should be changed to her native land mr bell told him in confidence that while he hoped he was entirely devoid of what you might call race prejudice against the english people it didn't seem as if he could let anybody belonging to him lie under the british flag for all time and found it a comfort that rattray understood sparta is divided in its opinion whether the imposing red granite monument they erected in the cemetery with plenty of space left for the final earthly record of leslie and margaret bell is not too expensive considering mr bell's means and too conspicuous considering the circumstances it has hitherto occurred to nobody however to doubt the appropriateness of the texts inscribed upon it in connection with three little french words which elfrida in the charmingly apologetic letter which she left for her parents commanded to be put there pa femme artiste janet who once paid a visit to the place hopes in all seriousness that the sleeper underneath is not aware of the combination miss kimsey boards with the bells now and her relation to them has become almost daughterly the three are swayed to the extent of their capacities by what one might call a cult of elfrida her death has long ago been explained by the fact that a grand-aunt of mrs bell's suffered from melancholia mr and mrs john kendall's delightful circle of friends say that they live an idyllic life in devonshire but even in the height of some domestic joy a silence sometimes falls between them still then i fancy he is thinking of an art that has slipped away from him and she of a loyalty she could not hold the only person whose equanimity is entirely undisturbed is buddha in his place among the mournful magdalens of mrs bell's drawing-room in sparta buddha still smiles End of chapter 35 End of A Daughter of Today by Sarah Jeanette Duncan